clue the way that you plan or maybe things just kind of happen in an odd fashion because it opens up the opportunity. Uh, it kind of made me tear up a little bit uh, when Cole stopped playing during that second song, How He Loves, and everybody was just singing. There was no guitar. It was just singing. That's, that is the beauty of worship. The beauty of worship isn't a guitar sounding just right, plugged in or not plugged in, whatever it is. It's not someone's voice sounding beautiful on stage or not. What makes worship beautiful is that all people in this room are singing the same song, singing the same glory to the Father because he deserves it and because he's worthy of it. And so I'm just, I'm thankful for you guys. I I love when things don't go the way because it exposes the Father's beauty in a new way. And it reminds us that it doesn't always have to go perfect. It doesn't always have to go right. But what matters is that we're obedient to it. And it's crazy because that's exactly what we're talking about today. That's exactly what we're talking about today. And I just love the way that the Lord orchestrates things. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Joshua 6. Uh, We are going to be in Joshua 6 picking up where we left off last week. Last week we were in Joshua 5 if you didn't listen to it. Uh, Go hang out. uh, Listen. Go hang out in a coffee shop. Listen to it on a podcast. Whatever works for you. Listen on podcasts on Apple or Spotify whichever, Uh, but I think you'd enjoy it. But we're going to be in Joshua 6. We're in a new series called Forward, and last week I took some time to explain why we're in this new series called Forward. This part of Joshua, Joshua 5 to Joshua 11, it is the conquest of Israel. It is the conquest of, of the promised land. It's when the Israelites move from the wilderness into the promised land. The Lord prepares them. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about how the Father prepared the Israelites and how Christ has prepared you because of his death on the cross. This week, this week we're going to be specifically talking about the idea of worship. We're going to be in the story of Jericho, and everybody understands, everybody kind of knows the story. How many of you have heard the story of Jericho before? How many of you have actually heard the story of Jericho? Like you feel like you know the story of Jericho, like Joshua marched around the, the walls of Jericho. There's a song to it. I don't know it, but does anybody know the song that you sang in kids' church? Possibly. Brittany does. I don't know it, but I heard about it, and it's... Yeah, it sounds pretty interesting, but um, we're going to be talking about the story of Jericho today. We're going to be talking and and diving in and understanding why the story of Jericho took place. Why was it Jericho first? Why did they go to Jericho first? Why not one of the other cities? Why not one of the other places? Why not not this? Why not that? We're going to specifically identify why Israel went to Jericho first. We're going to specifically identify why Israel went to Jericho first. And so we're going to, we're going to start reading uh, in Joshua 6. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, just follow along with me. Uh, it's going to take just a couple minutes, but I felt like it was important that we read the entire chapter uh, and not skip over any parts today. Uh, so we, yeah, Cole's excited about it. Um, so we're going to start in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead uh, and, and turn there. So verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho its king and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all of the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying uh, seven ram's horn horn trumpets. That's hard to say. In front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the, set, the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. And then the city's walls will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. So Joshua summoned, uh, 
Joshua, son of, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, take, the, take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the, the Lord uh, moved forward, blew the trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in front of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua had commanded the troops, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Do not let one word come out of your mouth until I say, Shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling at once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. And the priests took the Ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets marched in front of the Ark of the Lord. While the trumpets were being blown, uh, the armed men went in front of them, and the rear guard went behind the Ark of the Lord. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. They did exactly what the Lord had told them. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpet, and Joshua said to, the, said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her and the house will live, because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you have any of those things, you will be set apart uh, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go in the Lord's treasury. So the troops shouted and the trumpets, uh, and the trumpets sounded. And they heard the blast of the trumpet and the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city, and they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man, woman, both young and old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. So Joshua said to the two men who scouted uh, the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there, and all who are with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought Rahab and her father and her mother and brothers, all who belonged to her. Uh, they brought out the whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze uh, and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her, fa her father's family and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. That's really important for you to remember. At that time, Joshua imposed this curse— the man who undertakes the rebuilding of the city of Jericho is cursed before the Lord. He will lay its foundations at the cost of his firstborn. He will finish its gates at the cost of his youngest. And the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Father, thank you so much for the story. The story to see how you, you were with your people, how you gave them victory before they even moved a muscle, before they even moved forward. Father, thank you for the fact that we can see your faithfulness and your gospel through the story. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts are soft to it. I pray that your Holy Spirit is present in this room, speaking through me and, and speaking into the lives of the people, this church, myself included, Father. I pray that we are softened to this and that we are equipped to go and to share your message, your, your gospel truth with people after we hear this message. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. 
So that was a lot. There's a lot going on in chapter 6. There's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of things repeating. There's some trumpets. There's some shouting. There's some people. There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's all these different things happening. And so what exactly is happening in in Joshua 6? So the Lord shows up in chapter 5. There's a little bit of a gray area, but we believe that when the Lord gives these instructions, it's actually when Joshua is encountered with the, the, the commander of the Lord's army at the end of chapter 5. So that was actually the Lord giving Joshua these commands, these instructions for taking Jericho, potentially when Joshua's looking at Jericho from a distance. And so this kind of happens all in one story. And so typically when you read these stories, you read them together. And so the Lord gives Joshua instructions. He gives him instructions, but he also does one other thing. He gives, he gives Joshua victory. He tells them about how he's already given them victory. He tells them how he's already handed over the city He just needs to obey. He just needs to trust. He just needs to go in and take the city because he's already given it to him. So in this first section, the first seven verses, eight verses, we see God give instruction, tell them that they already have victory and that they just need to be obedient. And so in the next parts, we see uh, in the next parts, we see how Israel uh, responds to that, how they respond to that instruction. And Joshua tells all the people, hey, this is what we need to do. This is exactly how it's supposed to happen. These people are supposed to have these trumpets. These people are supposed to do this, that and the other. He explains all the instructions the same way the Lord gave him the instructions, because in that moment, Joshua is being obedient to what the father has given him and what the father has told him. And he's trusting that the father is right. And the Father is always right because he has dominion and authority over all things, right? That's right. Cole thinks so. Y'all think so? The Father has dominion and authority over all things? Yeah? Y'all shaking your head? Y'all need some more coffee. Come on. So, we go through these first parts, and then we get to the seventh day. So, they go through every day. They circle the city. They circle the city, and then they go through to the seventh day, and they circle it seven times, and they shout. The walls collapse, and they advance in. They advance in. They take the city. They capture everything, and they move forward. Okay, I think Bobby's changing everything behind me, but I don't know if he's flashing the scripture behind me, but it's all right. Y'all got your Bibles in front of you. So all of these different things happen. All of this happens. All of this takes place for one purpose. You see, they have trumpets for a reason. They have the priests for a reason. They have the ark in the middle for a reason. And it's not a reason that you would normally see unless you really, really dig into it. People think of the story of Jericho about just this great battle and they walked around in this battle formation and they, they shout and then they've got their swords and they just rush in and like straight up destroy everything. But in reality, the Israels are responding in obedience and trust to the Father. What is that? What does it mean whenever we respond in obedience and trust to the Father? It's worship. This story, yes, it's about, it's a conquest, it's a battle. It, there's, there's cool things that take place whenever you read it. If you're like me, I mean, I enjoy reading these stories. But it's worship. They are worshiping the Lord. They're being obedient and they're trusting him. You see, when we're obedient and we trust Jesus, we are worshiping him, right? That's right. Whenever we're worshiping Jesus, we are saying, you have all authority over everything and I'm going to trust what you say and I'm going to be obedient to what you say and I'm going to do what you say. That's what's happening in this moment. It is a conquest. It is a battle, but the battle does not start until they worship. They go in this formation. They have the trumpets. They have the ark. They have the priests, the Levitical priests who are responsible for the, the offerings and everything inside the tabernacle. They have all this stuff going around the city. Because they're showing an act of worship to their God, to the city of Jericho, because they're saying, hey, our God has already given us this city, and he's already taken care of it. 
He's already, he's, already, he's already given it to us. And we've got our men of war in the front and, and behind everything to protect them, protect the people, but we already know that God's already handed it over. And we're just doing exactly what our God said. It's so easy for us to slip into the pattern of like, yeah, you know, I know what this says. I know that this says that I'm supposed to go share the gospel with people. I, I know it says that I'm supposed to have a loving heart towards others. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I know that I'm supposed to die to myself. Like, I know what this says, but it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to die to yourself, especially when somebody cuts you off on 85. It's pretty hard. Y'all know it's true. Listen, we had to go to uh, Top Golf yesterday. We went for Corey's birthday. People on 85, mm, they need Jesus. So, but it's, it's hard. It is hard to love people well. It's hard to be obedient to what God has called us to do. It's hard to be obedient when you're sitting in a coffee shop and God kind of nudges your heart, be like, hey, go share the gospel with that person. And you're like, whoa, I like my chair. It's pretty comfortable. If I get up, it might get cold. And then I might have to warm my chair up again. Or like, hey, if I get up and I leave my coffee over here, it's going to get cold. I'm not going to do that, God. I want my coffee to be hot. Y'all come up, we come up with stupid reasons to not go and share the gospel. Like, that's just the truth. And that's kind of harsh words, but that's just, that's just the truth. The, the truth of this text, the truth of this story is that this is an act of worship. It's an act of obedience for the Israelites. It is an act of obedience. This is the point of this message. This is the point of everything that we're talking about today, that forward living, that when we're living forward, these Israelites, they're living forward. We have to understand that forward living is worship. We have to understand that when we live forward for Christ, when we are living on mission for Christ, when we're living in response and obedience and trust to Christ, that it is worship. And if we're not living forward, then we're not living a life of worship. Come on, if we're not living forward, if, I, if our eyes are not set forward on the hope of the gospel, but rather, like I said last week, on all the things that have happened in our past, if all that I do is look back, my heart is not living a, a, a life of worship. I'm worshiping my past, not my Father in heaven, not my Savior. If, I, if my mind, if my, art, my heart is set on everything in the past, if it's set on everything and I'm not paying attention to what he's trying to do in front of me, I'm not living a life of worship. I'm, living, I'm worshiping my past. I get stuck in my past. I get consumed by the things that have happened to me. I get consumed by the hurt that has happened in my life. I get consumed by the way that people have been rude to me or the way that people have uh, spoken terribly to me. Like I get consumed by those things. I can get consumed because somebody cut me off on 85. I'm telling y'all, it, it, it's rough. But we have to understand that forward living, it's worship. It's trusting and obeying the Father. And if we're not living forward, then we're not living a life of worship. I was doing some writing and I, I wrote this paragraph. You know, when we're living in Christ and Christ is our life, we must reflect trusting and obeying. Our life has to reflect trusting and obeying. This doesn't mean, well, I'm almost out of money, but God will provide. Or it doesn't mean gas is super expensive, but God's going to change that. It doesn't mean that. Or it doesn't even mean that God, someone else will go and have that conversation with that person. No, forward living is saying, Jesus, I know that I may be hurting. I know that I may be suffering. I know that I may be going through this, that, or the other. I know what's going on in my life. This may be a terrible situation. This person did this to me. I, I know I need to forgive them, God, but I also know that you are God Almighty, that you are Lord Almighty, that you are the King of glory who is mighty in battle and Lord over all creation. So I will not fear my circumstances because you have dominion over them all. 
This is forward living. I was just typing this out in my, in my office last week. I said that you care for me and you live for your glory through me. You love me and you live for your glory through me. I will share your gospel with that person even though it doesn't really make, me, make sense to me or it makes me really uncomfortable. It is not okay to live by myself, for myself. I'm not living in worship when I do that. I have to live for his glory. Forward living is worship. We have to be focused on forward living, understanding that it is worship. And so we're going to specifically look through the, the book of Joshua, the chapter, chapter 6 of Joshua today, and dive through. So we're going to actually just pay attention to Joshua 6, verses 1 through 7, and then we're also going to go through Joshua 6, 15 to 23. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn it back there if you closed it for some reason. We're going to pick up in Joshua 6, verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho its king and its best soldiers over to you. That is the Lord telling the Israelites, I have given you victory. That is the Lord speaking to the Israelites saying, Hey, I have already handed everything over to you. I already have dominion over it. I already have power over it. I have already caused fear to enter their heart. I want you to understand that this is a promise and a fulfillment of what God promised Moses and what God promised Joshua back in Deuteronomy. He says that he will put the fear, his fear into their hearts and cause them to tremble before his name. He he promises that in Deuteronomy. This is God telling the Israelites, hey, I've given you victory. And then he's, he gives the instruction. He says, march around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying seven ram's horns, trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the, seb- the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. It sounds like a worship service, right? They've got music. They're, they're blowing these trumpets. They're going to have the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to have these priests who are responsible for leading worship in the tabernacle. It sounds like a worship service to the Israelites. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city's walls will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. And so Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord's presence. Remember, we've talked about that. The Ark of the Covenant was the Lord's presence with them. It It contained the Ten Commandments. It had different things in it. It was his presence. So he's saying, take up the Lord's presence and have the seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the ark of the Lord. And he said to the troops, move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the ark of the Lord. This first part is the instructions, like I talked about. It's the instructions that, that God gave Joshua. This first part is it's God saying, hey, I've given you victory, but I need you to trust that I've given you victory. I'm telling you exactly how to do it. I'm telling you exactly how to take the city. I'm telling you exactly how you, need to, how you need to walk, how you need to follow my name, how you need to follow my instruction. I'm telling you exactly what you need to do. I just need you to trust what I'm saying. It's, it's a moment of trust for Joshua, and it's a moment of trust for the, for the priests. It's a moment of trust for the Israelites. And see, I need to remind you, we're not Joshua. We, when you think of the story in this moment, you're not Joshua. We're not Joshua. Jesus is Joshua. Jesus is Joshua. We are the Israelites, following his lead. Christ calls us to follow him. Through his gospel, he calls all the different disciples and says, follow me, follow me, come and, come and you'll see. He says the same thing to us. He gives us that instruction. He gives us that instruction, come and you'll see. Come, come, and, come and see where I'm staying. 
Come and, come and listen to, to the words that I'm proclaiming. Come listen to the truth that I am giving. This is what Christ says to us. This is the, the, the word that he gives us, the victory that he tells us. Before Christ dies, what does he say? He says, it is finished. He's accomplished all things. He has authority over all things. This is the moment when God speaks victory and instruction to the people, and they are to respond with trust. They are to respond with obedience, and their obedience is to do exactly what he said. What has Christ called us to do, church? What's the vision of our church? Somebody tell me. There you go. God has called us to love him above all else with everything that's in our heart, everything that's in our mind, everything that is our body, everything about our existence. We are to love and honor and glorify him with that. That's what Deuteronomy says, and that's what Jesus reiterates whenever the Pharisees and Sadducees come at him. Whenever they square up to him and they be like, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He's like, this. It's like, and what's the other one? To love your neighbor as yourself. You are to love your neighbor the same way that you are loving the Lord. You are supposed to die to yourself. That's why Paul constantly says, we just saw in Philippians, he said it like three times, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I will die to myself and live for Christ because there is nothing else greater than Christ because he has authority and dominion over all things and he just wants me to trust him. He just wants me to be obedient. He just wants me to worship him because Paul understood that his life was meant to be lived forward, not looking back at all the mistakes that he had made. Do you think Paul spent time thinking about the fact that he had murdered tons of people? Yeah, I'm sure he thought about it. But did it, did it keep him? Did it keep him from living forward? No. You know how we know? Well, all these letters that are in the back of this book. That's how we know it didn't keep him. We know that it didn't keep him from living forward and obedient because he, he continued to encourage churches. He continued to plant churches. He continued to make disciples. He continued to worship the Lord with everything that was in him. He continued to trust. He continued to obey. We have to do the same thing. Christ has given us the same gospel that he gave Paul. Christ has given us the same gospel that he gave his disciples and that he spoke into his disciples' lives while he was here on this earth walking around just like you and me. And we have to respond with obedience and trust. And that means that we've got to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You got an invite card on your, on your chair. I didn't even plan this. I just thought about this when we got here. When's the last time you took one of those invite cards and you actually handed it to somebody and invited them to church? When's the last time that you actually said, hey, I would love to get coffee with you and share my story with you? You see, we get so caught up in our fear. We get so caught up in our anxiety. But when we let those things take control of us, we're worshiping those. I'm not saying that it's a wrong thing to be consumed with anxiety and to struggle with that. I'm not saying that. It's okay to struggle with anxiety. It's okay to struggle with fear. I struggle with fear. It's probably my, my, the thing that consumes me most. But when I hit my knees and I pray every morning, that's what I'm praying over. I'm praying that my Lord gives me strength because I know that he can because he has authority and dominion over it all. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And so I walk the rest of my day knowing that I have confessed it to him and talked to him about it and that he's going to allow me to move forward in that victory because he's already claimed it. He's already claimed it. Joshua and the Israelites had to understand the same thing, that God had already given them victory, that God had already secured everything, church. They just had to move forward. They had to move forward, each man straight ahead. I ask you a question. Does your life reflect the fact that you're moving straight ahead? Or are you taking left and right turns everywhere that you go? I'm about to pull Ricky and take my jacket off. Say grace. 
Poor Ricky. I'm getting hot up here. It's hot in this building. Listen, y'all, I'm not joking. Like, Christ has called us to, to, to live a life of obedience, to live a life of trust, to say, hey, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share the fact that Christ has changed my life through his word and through his gospel. I'm going to share this gospel with the people that are next to me, the people that I work with, the people in the coffee shop. It's so easy to shrink back in our fear, but we have to respond the same way that Joshua and them did. Y'all understand that Joshua and them were a, worse, a much worse situation because they were literally going to war. Like some of them were going to die. You understand that we're at war too, right? We're at war with Satan. Christ has already claimed the victory, but we have to participate in the war of fighting for the people that are around us and sharing the gospel with them. We have to, church, because it's obedience. It's truth. It's trust. It's worship. And so throughout the rest of the chapter, all the way from verse 8 to verse 14, we see the Israelites respond and do what God had commanded them to do. They march around the city. The trumpets are in front of the ark. The men of war are in front of them, and the men of war are actually behind the ark. And so they walk around the city in this formation six times, and they do this. The trumpets are blowing and they're silent. They are obedient. They do exactly what God said. Why? Because they actually wanted to seize it. They wanted to live in obedience. They wanted to trust. They wanted to obey. And so they did exactly what Joshua told them to do. And then in verse 15, it says, early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpet, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Joshua said exactly what God had said to them. Hey, I have given you the city. Everything has been taken care of. And so Joshua was, again, speaking encouragement. Church, I need you to know that Christ has won the battle. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever's in your past, it does not hold you anymore. It does not hold you anymore. Like, can you praise the Lord? Can you worship? Can you worship because of that? that? That your past, the way that you were addicted to alcohol, the way that you were addicted to porn, the way that you were addicted to yourself, your image, your social media page, whatever it is, the money that you own, the land that you have, the this, that, and the other, all those things that are tying you down, that are weights on your life, they don't control you. Because your Father in heaven has all authority over you and he loves you that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be brought into his household and called daughter, called son, called child of the Most High God who is loved and adored more than anything that he has. And he did it all for his glory because he wants to restore everything to the way that it was intended to be without sin. Can you worship because of that? Can you live in obedience because of that? Are you living in obedience because of that? Are you sharing the gospel with people? Are you inviting people? How easy is it to walk up to someone and say, hey, man, I'd love for you to go to church. Here's an invitation. Come, come hang out. We'll go to lunch after. I don't have a watch on, but that probably took about 15 seconds. That probably took about 15 seconds. And I've told y'all before, I'm not worried about filling these chairs. I'm worried about making more disciples because that's what Christ calls us to do. I could care less if every single chair in this room is filled up. That's why we took chairs out. 
Literally, that's why we took chairs out, because I was like, we don't need them. I'm just worried about the people that you know, do they know Christ? Because that's obedience. That's trust. That is us living forward. We've been talking about faith all year. We've been talking about how living in faith and living by faith. Living by faith is living forward. It is forward living. It is worship. And it's great. Like we have Sunday morning faith. There's a worship song out there that talks about Sunday morning faith. And it's like, does it continue every single day of the week? Yeah, living, living in your quiet time, walking with the Lord, spending time with the Lord, those things matter, and I need you. I want you. The Lord wants you to do those things, spending time in his word and spending time in prayer. But what, is the, what does the overflow of that look like? Because if there's no overflow, are you growing? Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, remain in him, being firmly rooted and built up, firmly established in your faith, and overflowing with gratitude. Like Tyler said, it's one of the only verses that I've, managed to memorize because it's been the most influential in my life because it convicts me every time that I think about it. If I'm not living in overflow, am I living a life of worship? And it doesn't mean that you got to be a church planter. If you want to be a church planter, let's talk about it. Bobby. If you want to be a church planter, that's great. But maybe, maybe you do a mission trip. Maybe you say, hey, I want to disciple somebody. Maybe you say, I've been in discipleship for a year and a half, and I haven't really started meeting with anybody, or I haven't really taken time to get to know anybody else in this church except for the person that disciples me. Maybe I should step up and start meeting with somebody. Maybe I should step up and say, hey, I'd love to go through another gospel with you. That is encouraging and edifying to the church, and it is obedience. Evangelism isn't the only form of obedience. Evangelism is important. Sharing the gospel is important. It's very important. Sorry, that was a tangent, but I just, that was, that was the Lord. But it says, but the city and everything in the, in the city, this is again Joshua talking about. The city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute, every, everyone with her in the house will live because she hid the messengers uh, we sent. Keep, for your, keep yourself from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of these things, those things, you will be set apart, and the camp of Israel will be set apart for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the treasury. All right, so when we live in obedience, we often think, all right, well, maybe I'll get something out of it. We kind of have a selfish ambition. It's like, all right, if I do this, maybe God will give me this. That's not how it works. Because we see the Israelites, again, they're living in obedience. And the Israelites might have thought that they were going to get all the gold. They were going to get all the plunder. They were going to get all the swords, all the this, that, and the other. Claim the city, take the city. They were going to live there. That's not what God told them to do. God said, you're not going to get nothing. You get me. You're not going to get any of these possessions because I don't want you to have an idol before me. You see, Christ won the victory. And so it makes sense that Christ gets everything. Christ conquered all things, and he has authority over all things, so it makes sense that he gets everything. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything, church. Christ came and died for us so that we could participate in the victory that he has given us. And so we don't get to inherit anything but him, but yet he is the greatest thing that we can inherit because he does have authority over all things, and he is the authority over all things. Like Corey's hat says, Jesus is king. He's got the best hat on in the room. Sorry, Tyler. Sorry, John. I forgot other people had hats on. Anyways, 
Jesus is king. He has authority, and that's the best thing that we can inherit. It doesn't matter the land, the, the, the gold. None of those things matter. What matters is we're living obedient. We get to inherit the kingdom of heaven that will come because Christ has already conquered all things. He has authority over all things. Church, I need you to understand that Christ, Christ has given you victory. This whole chapter, this whole chapter, it's about worship. It's about the Israelites responding in worship to what God has done for them already. It is a conquest narrative. It is a story of, of God leading the way, tearing down these walls. It's, a, it's an amazing conquest story. But it does not happen and it does not start without the Israelites worshiping God. Opening their hands up and saying, God, we are giving you everything because you have given us everything. That is it. That is what this story is. All the things are set apart in this city for destruction because he does not want them to inherit anything other than him because he is the best thing for them. And he wants them to rely on him because he does not want them to have another God before him. It's the first commandment. He's bringing everything back to what he spoke to Moses. Joshua is is explaining everything back and bringing everything back to what Moses told them. So the troops shouted and the trumpets sounded, and when they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed, and the the troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city, and they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man, woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Before we move on, I do believe that there is one thing that we have to talk about, is why would God be okay with them slaughtering an entire town? And it's a beautiful representation of the gospel because what did it say at the beginning of the chapter? Or I'm sorry, what did it say in uh, chapter, chapter 5, at the beginning of chapter 5? When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan and to the west and all the Canaanite kings, Jericho, heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites. When they heard, the people in Jericho heard the salvation of the Father. The people in Jericho heard that God led the Israelites out of the wilderness, out of their death, out of their sin, out of their separation, out of their disobedience. When, when they heard that, they shrank back in fear, which gave the Israelites victory. But there was also another response that they could have had. It could have been submission. It could have been obedience. And so why, did, why was God okay with letting the Israelites slaughter an entire town? Why was this war okay? Because they chose sin over salvation. They chose their own gods over the only God, the mighty God, the God who has authority over all things. They, they chose all these things over the only God who has authority over all things. And so the reason why this is okay is because it's not a war on people, it's a war on sin. Remember how I told you earlier that we're at war? We are in a spiritual war against sin and death. Yes, Jesus has already defeated it, but we still have to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, walk with him every day so that that sin, that death does not consume us and lead us astray. We have to live as if Jesus is king. We have to live forward for our faith, for the Father in heaven who sent his Son to die for us so that we don't have to be tangled up by that sin anymore. We, we have to live that way, church. 
We have to respond in worship. The Israelites responded in worship. That's what this was. This whole chapter, like I've already told you three times, this is the third time, this is about worship. It's about trusting and obeying the Father. Forward living is worship. It's trusting and obeying. I'm not telling you to go, go strike up a sword and sharpen it up real nice and go run around. Don't do that. Don't do that because you didn't hear it from me. Don't do that. That ain't smart. But what I am telling you is the Lord has given you a sword. It's this word. It's the spirit that is inside of you if you are called by his name, if you are a part of his kingdom. And that sword has the ability, like Paul says, to pierce both joints and marrow. It is a double-edged sword, as Proverbs talks about. It is stronger than anything else that you have. And even when you feel like it may not have had any effect, it did because it's spirit-filled and led. Because his spirit is more powerful than us. And so you have to be obedient to it. You have to trust it. We have to trust it. I have to trust it. I'm not telling you something that I'm not trying to live out myself. Would never get up here to do that. We have to be obedient to it, church. We have to understand and we have to live as if Christ has won. We have to live as if Christ has won everything. We have to live a life that is forward-focused and forward-living. And so I need to ask you a question. Does your life reflect that worship? Does your life reflect that worship? And yes, I mean, are you spending time in his word, like I talked about last week, understanding that he has prepared you and called you by name and loves you? Are you spending time in his word? Are you praying? It's so easy to say, yeah, I prayed. I took about five minutes, prayed for a couple things in my car while I was on my way to work. That's great, and I'm so happy that you're doing that. But how much more rich would your prayer time look if you hit your knees before you left your house? Because that's what the Lord over all things deserves, because he has authority over all things, and he deserves for us to hit our knees and pray before him. What does your time in discipleship look like? What's your time in fellowship look like? What's your time in small group look like? Are you going? Because those are ways that we live obediently. Those are the ways that we live in worship. It's not just our own personal time, but it's also being the church. It's loving other people. You see, those first two things, they allow you to love the Lord and teach you to love the Lord, to love the Lord with everything that you are. But the other thing, being around people, it teaches you to love other people as he has loved you. That's why it's the vision of our church. That's why those are the things that we do in our church. We're going to be talking about that in August. We're going to focus on that in August, getting back to our original DNA. But does your life reflect worship? Does your life reflect worship? Are you sharing the gospel with people? Because your, your worship of the Father cannot be something that you keep to yourself. Because that's not genuine worship. That's not true worship. True worship of the Father is being so ecstatic that he has won every victory and given you everything that you could ever possibly need. I'm not talking about money and finances. I'm talking about every spiritual power. Everything that has dominion over this earth has been defeated because Christ has defeated all those spiritual powers that try to combat you on a daily basis. That is what I'm trying to tell you is that Christ is king, that he has the victory. Does your life reflect it, church? Because you will see obedience and trust in your life. And what I need you to understand is that Christ came and he was obedient. And he trusted the Father and he died for you. He died 
for you so that you could be brought into this household, into this family, into his church, so that you could live this life of obedience. He set you apart. He prepared you so that you could live this life of obedience with him because he loves you and he wants to glorify his father. Does your life reflect worship or does it reflect yourself? Are you more worried about the amount of likes that you get on social media or all the different video reels that you can find on social media? Or are you more worried about the people that are around you? Do they know the hope of the gospel? What consumes your mind? What consumes your heart? Because that will identify your worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for the fact that you have won everything. That you have dominion and authority over all things. That you have set everything apart to be brought back to yourself through the power of your cross and your gospel. Father, thank you for the glory that we are able to see through the power of your cross. Father, thank you for the way that you work in our heart, the way that you bring us near to you, the way you let us draw near to you through your word and through the people around us, through prayer, Father, through patience. Thank you for those ways that we can draw near to you because you long for us to love you and to be in relationship with you. Father, thank you. Thank you for that. I just feel like we need to sit in that thank you. I just feel like we need to sit and and be grateful for what we've been given. Because the Israelites were thankful. They were thankful for what God had led them into. What God walked with them through. We just need to be thankful because thankfulness will lead us to be obedient. Father, I pray that we can be thankful in this moment as we go into this time of reflection, into this time of prayer, into this time of communion, that we can be thankful for the sacrifice that you have died, Father. The sacrifice that you have given, the sacrifice that you made, the sacrifice that you sent. I pray that we can be thankful. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you are encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.